Radio Free Brooklyn. This is what Brooklyn sounds like. Hello, Brooklyn! Happy Sunday, everybody. Happy Sunday. Welcome back. Uh, we have a very rainy October Sunday. I know, right? I'm all wet now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's any other way around that. Um, I am Emily. I'm here. We are. You are listening to uh, Objection to the Rule, your Sunday news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, today in the studio, we have Teresa. Hey, guys. And Matt. Hello. And a special guest today, Jocelyn Walters. Hi, everyone. Hello. Welcome. Um, So Jocelyn is a special interviewee, actually. We're really excited to have her here. Um, She's a friend of Teresa's. Yes, a long-term friend and just all-around good person. Yeah. Um, We've met in our many uh, different attributes that we do in our (laughs) lives. We have a lot of cross-sectionality with each other. Um, so she's got definitely a good person to have on the show. Thank you for joining us today. How you doing? I'm good. Happy to be here. It's always fun to hang out with you, Teresa, and meet your friends and, you know, talk to strangers on the air. Awesome. And you made it after, like, singing this morning and service and crossing Brooklyn on the L train? Yes. We had great <laughs> worship this morning. Uh, did two services, actually three if you count Saturday. Um, a busy woman. You too. I know, right? <laughs> All right, so why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? So I live in Manhattan, but I'm from Rhode Island. Okay. I still won't say I'm from New York, <laughs> but I'm from Rhode Island, so I'm a New England girl. Okay, awesome. And how long have you been here? I've been in New York for almost 10 years. Wow. Yeah. It's been creeping up there. Yeah. Okay, cool. What brought you here from New England? So I was living in Boston, uh, working, doing, I think what everybody else was doing, just trying to, you know, get ahead, advance my career. And I just started to feel bored and Boston started to feel small. I still love and adore Boston. And I was thinking about moving to Chicago. I was thinking about moving to DC. And I started to look around and say, okay, where can I move where I'm not finding a new job and living in a new location? And New York tended uh, ended up working out better because I had I could move with my company. So I ended up moving here. And it was a great choice. I really enjoyed getting to know New York. I feel like I got to know myself in new ways. So there's it's been all all good. All right. Awesome. Well, that's great. So one of the reasons that I wanted to have Jocelyn as a guest on our show, um, among her many hats, she is an entrepreneur. She is also a social justice activist, which is where our paths crossed um, not specifically there first, but one of the places that we work together. Um, so before we start, we talk about that. Let's talk about a new advisory. Yeah. So I started helping people with their careers <laughs> randomly while I was working. And, and I'm a big proponent now of the side hustle. Mm-hmm. I think that we live in an age where we can't necessarily rely on pensions and all the things our parents, uh, could do. We have to plan for a different type of, uh, retirement or even next phase of life, mm-hmm. maybe a now phase of life for that for many people where we have the gig economy and different things. So I started helping people navigate their careers just because they were hitting roadblocks. I'm a salesperson by trade. I've done business uh, consultative sales for m- majority of my career, working at tech companies, research companies, um, and some education. And what that's given me is the 
knowledge to sort of look at certain problems and say, okay, how do I move this to close? That's kind of how salespeople think. How do I close this deal? Mm-hmm. And we also learn a lot about positioning and promoting ourselves and articulating the at- the best attributes of a product. I started using thinking about people as products, as your own personal product. You hear about professional branding a lot today. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately what I started to do, listening to what people said their pain points were with their careers and what they were looking to do in the next phase of life, and then helping them come up with a strategy to actually get interviews. So many people are focused on getting a job. I'm like, first, you need to get some interviews. Yeah, You might need to meet a few people in this new career that you're looking for. Um, I particularly like helping people change careers. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're a teacher, but you want to be a broadcast you know, journalist and you don't know how to describe yourself. You don't know where to pick up some skills to talk about that so that as you're networking, you can say, yes, I have some experience. So that's one thing I do. I also started working with companies on workshops around the same topic, career, diversity, all sorts of navigation strategies, but I and I work with startups and entrepreneurs on growth. So it's kind of a very eclectic mix of things. It makes sense in my head. <laughs> in fact, I, one of the other epiphanies I had while I was doing my own business is you don't have to, you don't have to be cookie cutter. You can start a business and it can be a little bit of all the things you like. Mm-hmm. It is okay that, and I, this is actually true for me. I started making beauty products Hmm. for myself. And then someone asked me for a jar and I gave it to them and then they wanted to buy more. And so I was like, I don't, maybe I'll just make two companies, two little, little baby companies. And I did that. And they don't have anything really to do with each other except for the vision in my head of what I stand for. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I do the social justice thing, the same thing, they don't look like they relate to, to someone else, but you don't have to sacrifice your passions and you can turn many of your passions into a career or at least some extra side money. Um, and I think that especially if you put a few years in, maybe five good years on something, I, I would even say 10 if you want to call yourself an expert, mm. but yeah. you put in a few good years at something and there is someone with a need mm-hmm. that um. you could fill. Uh, and I would also recommend that if you're on that course and you're thinking about that, volunteer first. I gave away my services for free uh, just to help myself define what I wanted to do and decide what I hate doing. I don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, yeah. Justin, let's give away your services for free for a moment. <laughs> uh, when, when talking about, uh, there's a, a nice way of looking at this. Also, is a negative way of looking at people having to uh, get side jobs and get money. Mm-hmm. When people are doing something freelance, uh, it's hard to tell, to know what to get paid. Good it's gosh. hard to, uh, yeah, you're, you're kind of alone. What, what advice would you give people? I was just talking to someone, one of my clients about this today. So what I tend to do when I'm trying to figure out what I should get paid, there are two things to consider. One, first you can just do the easy math. What would I make annually and divide, and divide that down to an hourly rate? So that's pretty easy. If you, you, can, if you, get a, if you make $100,000, what is that hourly? And that can give you some sense, especially if the thing that you are doing is similar to what you get paid to do in your day job. The other thing you have to do is research. I'm a big researcher. I'm a geek in that way. I Google everything. You can usually find out there's someone online that's posting about when I started writing thought leadership papers, I was writing, this is such, I, sh- I shouldn't even tell everyone this because it really is ridiculously easy money. If you're a decent writer, 
I started writing for executives who simply just don't have time. They have plenty to say. Maybe they don't have time or they don't they don't have time to extract the good thoughts out of what they say. And again, as a salesperson, I'm like, oh, this 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 sells. This mm-hmm. will sell. And this we don't want you to get dragged on Twitter. So we're going to leave that alone. Right. And so I, I found that the first thing I did was I reached out to people I knew who were writers. I Googled writing and I found all sorts of pricing information from blogs and other places. And then I also looked at where am I in the level of expertise that I feel like is a fair place to shoot. Um, and that gave me, that gave me a trajectory to pinpoint exactly what to charge. So again, I recommend figuring out what your hourly rate is based on what you normally make to do this work. I would Google and research and see what other people are charging for this work. And then the third piece is value. What value are you offering? Are you solving someone's massive problem? Even if it takes you three hours to do it because you're really good at it, that doesn't mean you only should charge yourself what your three-hour hourly rate is. Part of your value is baked into that price. It's just like if you go to a restaurant, if it's a five-star restaurant with a super duper chef, it costs more to eat there. It doesn't take him longer to cook the food mm-hmm. than, it, than, than your mm-hmm. you know s- small restaurant on the corner. It's just that he comes with a level of expertise that you're paying for. Yeah. So those are the three things I factor into deciding what to charge for freelance services. I'm picturing this chef like calls like themselves Super duper chef. <laughs> like it's on the website. It's on its certificate from school. <laughs> so I, I was just going to say, I really love that you um, help individuals in that way. Jocelyn is definitely helping me. We're in the process um, of working on a few things right now. Um, but it is through another way that she's helped me through her own leadership, which is how I even got on the show, which is awesome. So we're going to bring it back to the impact ministry. So as you all know, um, I've been on the show since February and my first interview was about some of the work that we did um, last Christmas with our bailout for freedom campaign. So Jocelyn is the servant leader for the impact ministry at Emmanuel Baptist church, which is um, a wonderful organization I've been a part of for quite some time. Can you tell us about impact? Yeah. So Impact is a Christ-centered social justice ministry, as Teresa said. It was started in 2016 by our Reverend Sharika Newton, and it's now grown to over 70 members. Um, And we meet twice a month to talk about social justice issues, but also plan initiatives and campaigns for both the church and the greater Brooklyn community. Um, And what I'll say is I believe there's a fantastic, with all that's going on in our world today, mm-hmm. <laughs> there is a fantastic opportunity for faith leaders and not just the faith leaders, but the congregations to get involved in social justice in a new way that would really help push forward some of the things that everyone or a lot of people are frustrated with. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. And so my interest um, came for impact just because I wanted to do something. And that's that's the wonderful thing about this ministry. It You don't have to know how to do it. You kind of just show up with this willing attitude and we will find a place for you, um, which I think is really great. And it's not just within the four walls of Emmanuel, which is mm-hmm. which is one of the best things about it. Um, we definitely have done things to impact um, Brooklyn and New York City as a whole. And hopefully in the future, we're going to impact the world in, in much greater ways. Can you tell us what some of the projects are that are um, happening right now for the remainder of 2019? Yeah. You mentioned our bailout campaign. So last year, we made an effort to really put a 
put our mouth money where our mouths are. Mm-hmm. We know that cash bail is a big was a, was I should say a big problem, um, and we didn't want to necessarily get on this bandwagon of we're going to pay to bail people out because then you're actually paying to maintain the system. But we we saw it as a, a way to enlighten our community, and so we created a bailout effort called Five for Freedom, where we just asked people to donate five dollars. And this is a good example of what Teresa said. We started to reach not only we were not only did we target a lot of the people in our own congregation, but we started to reach other people through social media, other people at other churches and faith institutions saying, Wow, I didn't I never thought of doing that. That's actually kind of easy. Can you tell us more? In fact, we ended up in a publication done by Ebenezer Baptist Church, which is um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, home church. They did a huge initiative and they included us in a pamphlet of things that faith-based communities can do to get involved in social justice. Now, in uh, the coming this January, New York City has, has is passing, or, or I should say implementing, new legislation that will, uh, I should say, decrease cash bail. So it's mm-hmm. not, it should no longer be the problem that it has been. And that's thanks to a lot of people's hard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're moving that initiative towards other uh, decarceration efforts, but we will do another campaign this season. And then in January, February timeframe, we do an educational literacy event, particularly focused around African-American literature, children's literature and um, people of color, because there is a de- there's a deficiency. There are literally schools that could be 90 percent. Hispanic and African American, and they don't have a single book mm-hmm. that reflects those children. It's also on the opposite, just as important. You could have schools that are predominantly white and not not people of color, and they have zero books that reflect people of color. Mm-hmm. And that's the best time to demonstrate, hey, this Asian American can be the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, this disabled child can be the hero of the story, and get that rooted into children's minds earlier rather than some of the other things that seem to be permeating uh the, their periphery mm-hmm. yeah so I, um, when we i'm sorry go oh, ahead no, totally fine. I, so uh, just talking about the the cash bail issues can we get like a brief summary of what that issue is just for anyone listening who's not as familiar with yeah. that yeah and this is a great thing to talk about because so many people have the misconception that if you are in jail if you're if you're behind bars for any reason you must be guilty of something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The reality is 70% of the people in Rikers are pre-trial detainees. They haven't yet been found guilty of anything. And so even though most of us walking around think, oh, you're innocent until proven guilty, that's not actually the way our justice system has been working. It's been to the benefit of, I guess, judges, police, uh, prosecutors to seek cash bail, even though there are multiple other bail options. So mm-hmm. cash bail is not the only option. You also don't need to set bail so high. Mm-hmm. They could set bails in relationship to people's actual ability to pay. Which hypothetically was the purpose. was the, the point. But it's out of <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. beyond that. The bail, the, the only purpose of bail is to make sure you show up for your court date. Mm-hmm. But there is no data that says that giving people bail cash bail makes them show up better than any other form of bail and one thing we it is true is that people that are wealthy 
get to go home yeah. regardless of the crime they've committed yeah. because they have the ability to pay. Harvey Weinstein. Exactly. And many others. Yeah. Yeah. And many others. Yeah. But and so if you mind, need yeah. if you need a story to Google so you can understand the gravity of this, Google Khalif Brower, because mm-hmm. every in New York, that's a story that hits home. He was just a young kid minding his business and the police arrested him for a backpack that maybe cost thirty five dollars. And I think his bail was a thousand dollars or more. And he ended up spending three years in Rikers getting assaulted, Mm. mistreated. He eventually got out. They dropped the charges. So he was never found guilty of the thing he never did. But three years and then he killed himself. Mm -hmm. And now his brother and his family, uh, you know, serve on this effort of being activists. But and this is the thing I find so crazy is that you do not want to wait until it's your family who is dealing with a shooting death, Mm -hmm. a a police brutality situation or or any sort of other social justice issue to then get involved. That is where I think many people who think, oh, this is someone else's problem need to sort of reset their mindset so that they're focused on the fact that not only do I not want this happening to anyone else, I'm not waiting my turn. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what are some uh, some other examples of bail? If the case for anyone who's unfamiliar with that concept, because all I'm I'm mostly familiar with cash bail. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. There are I think nine forms of bail. I'm looking. I'm I'm pulling this up. Yeah, <laughs> because there there are a few, but um, there yeah, are there are bail. There are types of bail where you can uh, require people simply to uh, check in. I'm I'm looking at this mm. chart. So there's cash bail, there's insurance company bond, um, there's a security bond. There's all these different types of mm-hmm. bail, but it gives you more flexibility so that you aren't being got it put away. And uh, and some of the types of bail that allow you to put it on a credit card, there are different things, but there's bail that doesn't have to do with cash, mm-hmm. and that's really where you want to we want to move is to the opportunity to allow people to simply be able to show up for their trial date without having to lose their job, Mm -hmm. lose, not be able to pay their, if you're locked up, you're no longer paying your rent. You can't take care of your kids. You could lose your job. So even if you're not found guilty of the thing someone just accused you of, Mm -hmm. you could have all of your, your life just completely upset just because someone accused you. Mm. Yeah. And so it's just not land of the, no. Exactly. <laughs> so this topic specifically um, hit home for me. I had a very similar situation while we were doing this that happened in my family that um, actually made me a little bit more um, excited about getting engaged. But the idea of this interview and one thing that I really love about Jocelyn that she promotes and shows is that there are ways that people who are and are not um, in faith communities can get involved and get engaged um, to help one another. Because let's face it, you know, there there's going to come a point. I feel like we're getting close where it's us against them. Right. And you can put that together however you like in your mind. But the reality is the more aware we are, how we are affected by these things, um, the better handle we can have on it. Um, Jocelyn, can you just um, what are some other faith groups that, you know, that are doing different things like this or um, that you're connected to? Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about how we all can work together as yeah. faith based organizations to um, get involved more with social justice topics? Yeah, this has become one of my new favorite things. I feel like when I think about civil, the civil rights era, there was so much great communication. I feel at least the way I interpret these stories, it seemed like there was a lot of great communication going on 
between faith institutions of different denominations and they didn't have social media. They couldn't text each other. They had to pick up the phone or write a letter. So I wonder why can't we start doing more of this? And so there are um, Jewish synagogues, uh, other Christian denominations all getting together to to work on different things. And as Teresa said, it's a safe place because for the most part, we're not experts. We're not asking you to come and be uh, Sean King. Like We're not asking you to come and know all the ins and outs. We're literally saying, okay, if you care about something, we're going to find a way for you to get involved. And so I work with um, a few different organizations. Some of them are geared towards faith leaders so that they can take the information back to their institutions. And some are for the individual. So one such group is Faith in New York. They are geared towards uh, clergy and different faith leaders, any faith denomination. There's no, This isn't sort of you go and then get preached to. It's just sort of uniting us on this idea that, let's say, the golden rule, treat each other as we want to be treated or understanding there's a higher power and we should not be treating his creation uh, with such disdain and disrespect. And so loving others as we want to be loved is uh, is kind of a thread between most faith organizations yeah. and faith institutions. So it gives us a way to work together. Um, and it also shows the solidarity of people that don't look alike, that don't practice the same thing, which is why I think faith communities need to start doing this when there's so much negative news about faith communities this would be an opportunity. Um, the other organization that's pretty new, and this is for individuals, uh, we go by the name BJAC. It's Brooklyn Justice Advocacy Coalition. It was started by uh, the congregation Beth Elohim in Brooklyn, and they brought together faith leaders from multiple different organizations as well as activists. And we've been focused on talking and in conversation with the Brooklyn DA Eric Gonzalez, he's been fantastic about meeting with us. And again, I think that door is open because we are faith communities. I'm sure there are plenty of people trying to meet with him, but he opened his door, provided us opportunities because he knows that, I believe he knows that faith communities have audiences of everyday people, hundreds and hundreds of everyday people showing up weekly for service are also available to hear these messages about social justice. So we have an event coming up actually October 30th um, at Congregation Bethel Elohim, which is at 271, 271 Garfield Place in Brooklyn. It starts at 7 p.m., doors open at 6.30. It's absolutely free, and it's an opportunity to not only hear from the DA about his Justice 2020 plan, but for us to talk about accountability He's done some things really well on his plan, but there are other things that he's still working on. And it's important for us to get involved in those things. Like, how can we help make sure this happens? Or how can we change the conversation? Or how can we even defend you when you're trying to carry out some of the things that you want to accomplish? And let's say other legislators or the police or anyone else is not on board. Mm. So we have to be, we can't just vote. Vote to, Voting, which is going on right now. Exactly. Early, early voting. voting. <laughs> yes, early yes. Voting. Um, Early voting started on Saturday and it goes through uh, to Sunday next week. And then the regular election is on the 5th. Mm-hmm. We can't just vote. And first of all, we have to vote in every election. Every year there's an election mm-hmm. and we need to vote in all of them mm-hmm. because you're not just voting for yourself. You're voting for your your community. So if it doesn't, if the issues don't matter to you, assume they matter to someone in your neighborhood and, and go vote. 
And so voting is the bare minimum. You should be spending time getting to know your politicians, your advocates. You can knock on their door. You can call them. It's not you're not calling Washington, D.C. Like the people that support you, keep your streetlights on, take your garbage, you know, make sure your school is funded. Those people are accessible. So don't complain if you haven't picked up the phone, you haven't shown up at a single event, you haven't gone to your city council meetings. They're all available and set up so that you can be an active member of your community. Awesome. Get off my soapbox. Sorry. <laughs> now that's this is the soapbox. So that's that is definitely um, what we're here for. Amazing. Um, so I actually I had a quick question. Not a quick question. I have a, a question. I'm going to expand on a question. Um, so I wanted to ask about the, how you see like your faith and social justice meeting in the world, but also how you see on the broader context, like as someone who whose faith isn't kind of how I connect with the world as much, like how you see all that working together. Someone, you know, how people mm-hmm. who don't who also care about social justice, but not through a faith lens, how that works with how you see it working through a faith lens. It's a complicated question. No, I love this question because I think there are a lot of people, we call it in our tradition, church hurt, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm sure there's a nice catchy (laughs) phrase for synagogue hurt or mosque hurt. But this idea that we go to church and I think we expect perfection and we see such bad behavior mm-hmm. and bad displays of holiness that we're like, why am I here if all these people are going to treat each other so bad? And the idea is it's just like a hospital. You mm-hmm. go in a hospital, there are sick people there. You don't expect everyone to be healthy just because you're going to the place to get healthy. Cool. Same thing like a gym. I also I actually use the gym the most. You go to a gym knowing that people are there to work out. They're not there because they're already some are but you you know they're not there because they're already at the pinnacle of health yeah in fact even if they look healthy they may still need to continue to work on their health to maintain their health Mm -hmm. and that's true with spiritual health is that you go to a faith institution to get closer to god not because you're looking for perfection in your peers in fact that should make you feel better look these people are failing just like me Mm -hmm. Uh, but god is still good Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's so that's one thing that for me i have i compartment to mentalize is that my faith journey doesn't have to do with the perfections or imperfections of the people around me, including the pastors, preachers, mm-hmm. uh, rabbis. It's more about me growing in relationship with God. And if, if for nothing else, you believe that we should be treating one another with love and that even if we don't agree on issues, there should be a way to communicate and di- and discuss and debate, I find faith-based social justice to be a great lens to do that because we're already trying to stay true to this idea of how we treat one another. Mm-hmm. So our my social one of the things that people were saying is I don't really feel like I want to march down the street and and be in any sort of situation where I might be, you know, in conflict with law enforcement and they're coming after me or getting hurt. But I do care about these issues. And what we try to do is, it's not that we don't want to push the uh, the envelope. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Jesus was a revolutionary. He was flipping tables. Like He didn't just, he wasn't a doormat. Yeah. I don't think faith-based social justice has to be a cowering doormat uh, sort of engagement. It's really about just being kind to people in the way that you 
engage these topics and being considerate and loving um, because we should be able to admonish each other in love. We should be able to teach each other in love. That's at least what our faith tradition teaches. That's what our Bible says to me that translates into social justice. Mm -hmm. So I like, I could join an activist group of any, any kind, like the public ones, but I really do like faith-based social justice. And we welcome people all the time that have no affiliation with our church who just want to be part of this. And I would say, even if you're not a practicing member of a particular faith, at least for the impact ministry at Emmanuel Baptist church, we still welcome you. We think it's a great opportunity for you to see faith from a different lens and just be yourself. We don't require you to join the church. You can just come on in. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we're about to wrap up. We have one or two more questions for you, I think. Um, Yeah. So how can our listeners connect with you or support the projects that you have coming up? Yeah. So if you're interested in career navigation or you're trying to get your voice heard, uh, you try to create content for yourself, written content, you can reach out to me for my personal business, a new advisory, just by email, uh, Jocelyn at a new advisory.com, J O C E L Y N at A N E W A D V I S O R Y. I think you spelled that right. <laughs> Did I? Okay, good. <laughs> Dot com. Um, and that if you want to get involved or hear more about our social justice efforts, you can show up at service. We have service at on Saturday at 5 p.m., Sunday at 9 and 11. I'm, most, I'm there almost every service. Um, but you can also just email me at impact at ebc-ny.org. Uh, so impact at ebc-ny.org. We meet for our, our, we meet for our impact ministry on the first and third Mondays at 645 at Emanuel Baptist Church, which is at 279 Lafayette Avenue in Clinton Hill. And re- remember, you don't have to be a member of EBC or a member of Impact or even a Christian to come to this meeting to get engaged. We definitely welcome it. But the idea is that we want to show people our faith through the works that we do. Um, So I just wanted to say thank you so much, Jocelyn, for joining us and enlightening us about some of these topics and how people can get engaged. Uh, It's definitely welcomed to, I think, to our community and everyone as a whole. And we will post um, all the information that she shared with us today on our Facebook group. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I just want to reiterate that uh, event that we're having on the 30th. There is an Eventbrite um, CBE daforum.eventbrite.com. So if you want to RSVP for that, uh, you can look it up that way. Or as she mentioned, it'll be hopefully on their website as well. But thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Yay. Thank you so much. I think we're going to take a quick music break. And when we're back, we're going to have some more of our regular news programming. And Jocelyn, you're welcome to stay if you want to stick around. Awesome. Here we go. If you feel insignificant, you better think again Better wake up because you're part of something way bigger You're part of something way bigger Not just a speck in the universe Not just some words in the Bible verse You are the living word Ah, You're part of something way bigger Bigger than you, bigger than we, bigger 
than the picture they framed us to see But now we see it And it ain't no secret, no Understand the truth about that question in your soul Look up, don't look down, then watch the answers unfold Life is your birthright, they hit that in the fine print uh. Take the pen and rewrite it Step out your estimate Step in your essence and know that you're excellent, right? Spirit is teaching, no, I'm not just preaching I'm taking my own advice Let mama let you know Mama's still trying, I can't get no days off I don't get no days off, truly I'm feeling it I had to say that thing twice Trying to be a good wife Still really hard, I can't lie But I promised you I would fight, so I fight If you're feeling frustrated, you're sinking, I'm jumping in Forgiveness is key because we're fighting something way bigger You never lose, we are winners I'll be the root, you'll be the tree That's on the fruit that was given to me Legacy uh, We're part of something way bigger That was, what was that, Teresa? That was Bigger by Beyonce from the Lion King soundtrack. Definitely, we all are much bigger. (laughs) Yes. All right, so, Matt, you jumping into some national news for us? Yeah, let's go for it. So, the UAW, United Auto Workers Union, ended their strike with General Motors. The strike lasted six weeks and cost the auto manufacturer $2 billion. The benefits were... A 3% pay increase, full-time work for part-time workers, continued uh, health insurance benefits, and an end to a cap on profit sharing. Almost 
50,000 workers went on strike. That is a big strike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. And then I just come up, wanted to do just like a little brief history of strikes in America because I didn't really know my history that well. Awesome. Uh, honest. America has a big uh, history in labor, but you wouldn't think so in um, 2019. Um, since the second half of the 20th century, unions have been on the decline. Part of this is legislative, as journalist Dwyer Gunn puts it, the Taft-Hartley Act prohibited secondary boycotts and sympathy boycotts and opened the door to right-to-work laws, which prohibited employers from hiring only union employees that now exists in 27 states around the country, end quote. But it wasn't just anti-union legislation. Racism played, played a major factor in the failure to unionize the South, where people were pitted, where people pitted white and black workers against each other. Also, don't forget the constant comparing of unions to communism. Mm -hmm. So we have anti-union sentiment, racism, the Red Scare, but also we have globalism and a massive change in manufacturing that happened in the second half of the 20th century. As the century progressed, manufacturing started to go overseas. Currently, we're dealing with automation, but in the 70s and 80s, they were dealing with other mation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> Talking about the global market, the rise of Walmart, a lot of things were changing and manufacturing moved overseas. So workers had less leverage, or at least they perceived that they had less leverage with mm -hmm. their employers. But in my mm. opinion, the real issue is this ridiculous workers versus boss framework or free market versus regulation, as it's often um, displayed for us. There's a word in German, which is let's see if I can do this right. Nibetstimung. Wow. Nibetstimung. We don't know if that's right, Teresa. <laughs> it sounds right to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the real Germans have a word for everything. Yeah, well. It translates to uh, co-determination, which is basically union reps. Uh, I think it's part of the law. Union reps are board mm. members. So you have literal representation, representation in the boardroom. And, and, and in kindergarten terms, which is another German word, kindergarten, mm. <laughs> uh, they have to work together, which is just a wonderful way of looking at it. Instead of having this like, you know, F you pay us. Yeah. It's just like, oh, no, the workers and the bosses and everyone is, you know, in the same room. Right. Just like, how can we get profits so you can pay us? So congrats to the United Auto Workers and good luck. They plan to enter negotiations with Ford next, and we'll see if they can... Oh, I think I have a pun coming up. Oh. We'll see if they strike a deal or just strike. Hey. <laughs> have any of you ever been a part of a union? Um, no, I don't um, think I have. Teacher's no, union? Okay. Aww. So what was your experience like? Um, they... It was good, yeah. Um, there was a... Last year, back in Minnesota, they almost went on strike, uh, and it was it was nice to see that stuff get resolved. Because I mean, teacher unions are are pretty big now, and they're they're having quite the resurgence, especially in Chicago right now. Mm -hmm. And one thing I was noticed when I was when I was looking at the GM strike is it seems the only the only big unions that exist now are ones where you have such large participation so like healthcare teachers mm -hmm. uh you know the the gm they said they had 50,000 workers and so it would be nice if 
if we could get uh, return to collective bargaining where people that don't have as much uh, power, uh, industries that are smaller, uh, freelancers, uh, I know that like Uber and, and uh, Lyft had trouble with their workers trying to uh, figure out how to like talk to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. One of my one of my friends, longtime friends, she's in the teachers union. And I believe she told me the reason that it's so big is because they don't have a choice not to be in it. Right. Mm, and so automatic. that's all. Yeah. Which is both a good and it sounds yeah. like a good and a bad thing because you don't have a choice. And the whole point is so it can get, help give you choices. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I imagine that would be the one of the ways to also grow other unions is once you get the ability to create it, make it required. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the that's the difficulty of unions is mm-hmm. there is depending on how you view freedom. Right. Uh, automatically taking union dues sounds fairly egregious in a certain American context. Yeah. Um, I think in in France and all throughout you, uh, Europe there, I was looking at some stats about like so many people are represented by unions, but the participation isn't really even that big. Mm-hmm. So you'll have just like five to seven percent of people in like France actually involved in the union, but they collectively bargain for everyone. Mm. And so I guess like culturally, if you're just used to that, you don't think about it the way that we don't think about how much money is taken from our paychecks to go to like fund war. Right. Because mm. it's always been Taxes, that way, even yeah. though it's yeah. like or quite a long. wall, if you will. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I think the what you brought up about the different mindset you can have about working together. Like why is it an us versus them issue? And I think that's actually um, something in the, in the food service industry. That's a really interesting, mm. like the, in the periphery, there are certain things happening. Um, Danny Myers restaurants, they got rid of tipping, but so you have a flat rate, but then you also have a profit sharing situation. So you also get a certain percentage of the profits within your paycheck. So That's cool. It's very cool. Because I'm getting frustrated right now. Seamless is on my hit list. I love yeah. Seamless. I use it a lot. But they they calculate yeah. the tip with the tax included. Yeah. And I'm like, why am I paying tip on tax? Right. I'm paying tax. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Why would I be tipping you on tax? It's you didn't do anything yeah. for this. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot so of I stuff I just going think on. that yeah, the yeah. way that tips have grown, and I worked in food yeah. service, and I, you know, it's a hard job. But the way that tips have become more and more required for everything means to me, you're not, are you not paying your employees enough? Like, yeah. I know how it works in food service, mm-hmm. but now that we're, the tips are becoming like customary 20% on everything, whether it's your nails or whatever you go do, I do think that that model is not sustainable. Well, I think it's it's definitely a reflection of living wage and in, in, in a place in New York too, where it's like, so... Like, is the minimum wage even enough? And if it's not, are we all supplementing each other in that way? And is that, who is that unfair for? Is that unfair for everybody? Yeah, it's a whole, it's a very complicated it issue. Is. And we are, we are skewing a little far away from um, <laughs> the union thing. But um, we might also take one more quick music break. Yeah. Do y'all have any last thoughts on the story before we no. transition to a little music, a little world news? <laughs> No, I think I think it's definitely interesting. I'm glad that they they won. You know, you don't always hear about a positive end to a strike or even yeah, right. um, that they got what they were striking right. for. Yeah. So I think that's a bit of positivity. Yeah. I, I know it wasn't. Was that the good news story? I don't know. No, there's another good news story. I think mm-hmm. we like good news. We like good news. We like, we, we like weird news, too. Right. <laughs> I read your weird fish story a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Loved <laughs> it. Weird, weird skews good. Anyway. OK, we're going to take one more quick break just to hit refresh and we'll be back shortly. Thank you. 
You always hear another dollar another day I see the day as a new beginning Movement of the people, movement of the women To get the earth spinning in the right direct This movie of life sometimes might project Act scenes that don't seem serene I like Palo Santo, put on Love Supreme And get into the being of the great I am That's when I get to seeing just how great I am Many, many times from mistakes I ran But I'm just a cake, let me bake, goddamn I pray I don't forsake my man And whenever I fall on faith I land Imperfections, resurrections In the mirror staring at God's reflection Reflecting on my aggressions On my progressions, on my obsessions There's a lesson in not feeling less than And seeing life itself as a blessing All right, welcome back to Objection to the Rule Live on Radio Free Brooklyn That was Good Morning Love by Common I just love Common Like Common if you're listening um, I'm available <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. Oh, wow. I sing, I dance, I pray, I do lots of things. Oh okay. Um, anyway, into the world news. <laughs> yeah, into the world news. So, um, Jasmine, who is one of our regulars, but unfortunately couldn't make it in today. She did the research for this. So thank you so much, Jasmine. Um, we have a story on Chile. Um, a few weeks ago. So a few weeks ago in the studio, we talked about some of our own transportation issues in New York. Um, fares going up, increased police presence, activists encouraging writers to swipe others in and hold doors. Um, so when clips of Chilean students taking over metro stations in Santiago and letting everyone um, they could into the train system for free, it hit a nerve for Jasmine. Um, the students were ostensibly protesting a rise in fares. Uh, the price of entry was supposed to go up by 30 pesos or about four cents uh, USD. The median monthly salary for Chileans is $564. And I just want to Note that that's monthly. Um, mm-hmm. That is not weekly. Um, and that's also in dollars. So it's translated. But um, so the fare hike would have been significant for them. Um, when you're dividing 564 by 30, it really is. Um, before reading Lily Lufboer's article in Slate, pardon if I, pardon me if I mispronounced her last name, um, I, uh, Jasmine didn't know that Chilean students are debt burdened as well due to school fees. So understandably, the fare increase impacted them substantially. Uh, as of November, October, as of October 19th, the government has backtracked and reversed the increase in fare. But in spite of that, millions of Chileans are still taking to the streets in protest. So if it's not about fare, what is it about? And Jasmine has a number of very good bullet points. I'm going to have to skip a few for the interest of time. But here we go. Some major issues with and why these protests are happening in Chile. Um, so their current president is a conservative named Sebastian Piñera. On October 18th, he declared a state of emergency and deployed military to quell protests. There is footage of soldiers beating civilians and shooting at protesters and journalists. Uh, Much of the country is under curfew. Uh, So another thing is that the response to the fair evasion was very harsh. 
uh, right-wing politicians presented a proposal that it would increase the penalties for fare evasion up to 480,000 pesos, about $660. Wow. And as a comparison to New York, the penalty is $100 for a skipping fare. And that's even that's a crazy. Mm-hmm. Remember, I had my yeah. I had my yeah. issue about that. I'm still on the run, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid. God, I'm afraid of everything. Um, but yeah, so like 275 to 100 in New York. And this is what's the difference here? Um I don't have the the current swipe, but it's that's the that's the craziest. Yeah, that's penalty huge. Jump. Um, the subsecretary of the interior, Rodrigo Ubilla, declared his intention to pursue and punish as many protesters as possible, not just vandals or those who destroyed public property. So just straight up punitive reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, much of Chile's educational system has been privatized, and what is left of their public education system is underfunded and inadequate. And um, income inequality is extreme. Um, the median income is $524.05. Only 15% of the population makes $1,000 or $1,170 or more. And Chilean, okay, Chilean senators make about $8,300 monthly. Wow. Public servants making that much more than the population, which is not unheard of, but um, as a salary. Mm. I, I'm pretty, I don't know what the politician salaries are here, but I know they make money using that clout, but I, I don't. Anyway. There's a lot of other avenues, I'm sure. Right. Um, so while wages remain low throughout the country, costs for utilities continue to rise, and there is widespread widespread price gouging of basic necessities like toilet paper and medication. Um, this past Wednesday, the president announced. Oh, and this is okay. And then, as we're unwinding this story, um, this past Wednesday, the president announced a package of reforms aimed at ending the protests, including increasing the basic pension and minimum wage. Wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there are, these changes are a sign that protests have been somewhat effective in Chile, um, but it remains in a state of emergency with no end in sight for the protests. And about seventeen, and so far, seventeen people have died. Not about seventeen. Um, any thoughts, guys, on this kind of what's going on in Chile? Chile. Well, I mean, I think it's really interesting that it started with um, an increase of the fare to kind of offset some of this. I know that they have had uh, quite a bit of history of protesting. Um, in South America in general, but the fact that it's starting with the students, which it, it always does, um, mm-hmm. just shows you how far down this inequality is really touching. And it's sad to think that you are a teenager subjected to this type of uh, reality. Like, where do you go from there? Yeah, I don't know. And I mean, it's what's interesting is how it's it's not too far off from what's going on here. That's what I was thinking. It's mm-hmm. interesting. It's, and it's interesting that it's it's hard, the, the differences that have caused them to protest in the way that they have mm-hmm. over this issue. And we're, we're we protest a lot and there's a lot of student protests. Climate change right now is a huge one. Um, but yeah, I think that's why global news is so important, because oftentimes we don't see ourselves mm-hmm. in relation, especially with South America or people in other countries the way we should Mm-hmm. And this idea that this was just a, a tipping point mm-hmm. to a bigger issue that needed to be addressed is really powerful because, like you said, we're we're in that same space right now. We have a few different things that are got us on edge mm-hmm. and it's just a tipping point. But at some point, we do have to raise up the alarm so that the change happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can't sort of take the crumbs and go back to being silent and so I like that they're not giving up just yet. They're like, yeah. well, we're out in these streets. Let's go get everything else <laughs> yeah. we need. We need more wages. We need, you know, better services and better education. And in the end, it actually helps the whole country. Yeah. Yeah. A similar thing happened in France. They were protesting 
uh, fair, fair, uh, gas price hikes. They're forever protesting. They are the right. they are the goats of protesting. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they really are. But and yeah, they they really are. But um, yeah, they are protesting gas fare hikes. But then the the president relented on the price. But then they kept protesting. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, it's yeah. Sometimes it's just you know the tipping point for certain things. As long as it doesn't get too you know violent, know. I'm I'm not opposed to protests. I think right. that people need to not just take it. And sit on the couch and lament or lament on social We've media. We've talked about that here. We talked about the civil rights movement, right? Like they yeah. couldn't rely on their on just voting because a lot of them didn't have the right to vote. And like it, they had to get out there. And it's still true today. And mm-hmm. one thing about protests, it really does bring people in society together. So, you true. know, it connects different um, um, generations. Mm-hmm. It also yeah. connects different people from other sides of the block. You know, if you may not go there or there, but you'll meet on this common um, cause. So, you know, it's rough, but I, I think it's just a necessary um, to do definitely yeah. so i think we're gonna let's postpone the music till the very end of the show Teresa did a lovely job she picked one i know was specifically for the story um, <laughs> i did I, she, I know she worked so good at coordinating it but we're gonna chop that up and add it at the end it, um so but we have a good news story that matt put together matt, matt always has the good news yay would you be so I, kind just to share your good news story yes the brand always has removed the female symbol from the packaging for their sanitary pads I, I was trying to figure out like mm-hmm. I hate using like euphemisms are like feminine hygiene. And- yeah, that one's that's the feminine hygiene is the euphemism. I think just like you could you could say menstrual pad if you just want to use that word. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> menstruation is the word that people try to avoid. I think most often. Yeah. Uh, so they they took they got rid of the the female symbol on the packaging for the menstrual pads. Previously, <laughs> the packaging had a Venus image on it associating womanhood with menstruation. The removal. Of the image acknowledges that not all who menstruate are women. Mm-hmm. Steph Normand, a uh, patient advocate for transgender health, stated trans and non-binary folk are constantly misgendered, and a gesture like this can broaden out the, ex- the experiences and open up space for those who need the products. Yeah, awesome. Um, I was actually in the the menstruation menstruation like sphere for a while i was working with a nonprofit called untabooed um volunteering with them and they focus specifically on reusable products and the Ooh, benefits yeah. of those yeah i'm getting into that <laughs> yeah it's awesome um and you know it's better for your body it's better for your wallet it's better for the environment the environment, the environment is serious i know, the- I know. it's huge um <laughs> but another another issue in that sphere is the whole like the whole history of saying like you know females menstruate and um it's it's so it's it's not just not all menstruators are women, but not all women menstruate is also mm-hmm. something to remember too. It's, it doesn't necessarily define who you are. Um, and it's important for a lot of mental health issues, a lot of safety issues, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that there's products for everyone that they feel like safe using and comfortable in maybe public spaces. Um, you know, men's bathrooms, for example. Um, it's a really interesting issue and thank you so much for bringing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just an absolutely beautiful thing because when people get misgendered mm-hmm. by other people, you can, that's like, oh, that's a person that's, you know, they're, they came to that, that place or, you know, we were brought up in a culture that says, you know, so you can, but, but I feel like when, when something as cold as like a product is like kind of telling you what you're supposed to be, that this step, I just yeah. think is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. And we live, I mean, in a capitalist society, I feel like that's a lot of, 
I don't know. It's hard to un- un- dis- like disentangle your identity from the products you're being sold and the products mm-hmm. you choose to buy. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> yeah, to be continued. <laughs> to be continued. Um, so any last thoughts on that story before I move into some some news reads? Good job, always. Thank you. Um, I'm going <laughs> to do one. And then if anyone wants to do the others. Yeah. So real fast. Today um, is Radio Free Brooklyn's Fall Music Festival. Um, it is happening tonight at 5 p.m. It ends around uh, midnight, I guess. It's at Sunnyvale. Um, tickets are $10 at the door. Um, it, Radio Free Brooklyn is excited to present its first ever fall music festival. Woo. Ha- yeah. Yeah. It's really awesome. Come enjoy seven hours of live music, food, and an array of local vendors at East Williamsburg venue, Sunnyvale. It's located at 1031 Grand Street. Uh, attendees will enjoy performances from Bad Citizen, ZR King, Terminal Fury, King Tyrant, Holy Vulture, and Kings to, and King to Burn. Um, yeah, so that's such an exciting thing. Uh, for more information, you can visit RadioFreeBrooklyn. Uh, dot it says dot com, but it might be dot org. It's dot org. It's dot org slash Fall Fest. Yeah. Yay! And then our special guest, Jocelyn. You don't have to read that whole thing, Jocelyn. But if you would love, I, I'm really excited to have it's a new. Quite interesting. It so. is really interesting. It's a new voice reading our sponsor, Me Bottle. Yeah, I'm really into this. I've been focused on what is in my water lately, and so Me Bottle dot com. After more than a year of dreaming, researching, experimenting, late night conference calls, and early Saturday morning meetings, the Me team is happy and proud to present to you the Me Bottle. This double insulated, reusable stainless steel bottle disinfects water in 60 seconds. Mm. Um, it cycles utilizing UVC LED technology and is 99.99% effective against E. coli. A single charge via uh, micro USB lasts up to 30 days and the bright LED display lets you know when your water is ready to drink. Join us in bringing clean water to all. Raise your bottle and drink to you and me. Find out more at mebottle.com. Yay! Thank Thank you, you, So that's it for this week's Objection to the Rule. Thanks for listening. You can catch all our shows on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or on the Radio Free Brooklyn app. Stay tuned for more independent Brooklyn media. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. And we're going to close out with that song that we didn't get a chance to play earlier. Teresa, what song is it? (laughs) South (laughs) of the Border by Ed Sheeran featuring Camila Cabello. All right. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye. She got the brown eyes, caramel thighs, long hair, no way. I saw you looking from across the way And now I really want to know your name She got the um, white dress But when she's wearing less Man, you know that she drives me crazy The um, brown eyes, beautiful smile You know I love watching you do your thing I love her hair